Obvious. Offensichtlich. Obviamente. Achividna. Habavons. Kanyeshna. Megajer. Iharki. Baizdamu. Obvious. Obviously. Obvious, the podcast. Hello, listeners of Obvious, the podcast in which we talk about overlooked aspects of obvious things. My name is Teresa and I'm hosting our third episode today. This time, starting off with a fun topic, baby names. A few months ago, I found out I was expecting a baby. I had already started a list with baby names, but then, all of a sudden, the far moment became very real. And when you start thinking about it and those names circulate in your head, it's not that obvious anymore. I like Angela, Pamela, Sandra and Rita. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Holding Matilda. I didn't just want to pick a cute name. I kind of wanted it to have a meaning. So we started thinking of people we admire, role models. But then it also has to fit the family name. Maybe you don't want it to be too obvious for one gender. And it should also work internationally. And how do you choose the spelling? So a lot of thoughts are going into this. By now, I really get why many parents don't talk about their name choice before the child is born. As soon as you hear it, you immediately have a reaction to it. What if someone you didn't like as a child had a certain name and now that name is ruined forever? When I got engaged to my boyfriend this year and we went to the city hall to make our appointment, we bought this family register, a red book with a golden city emblem where you can store your wedding papers and future birth certificates. Inside, there are six pages of names and recommendations that seem to be out of another century. For example, it says, better don't call your child Pumukel because you find it cute. Imagine it will be a lawyer one day. And then in the list of names, there's Gandalf, which apparently is allowed in Germany. You cannot pass! Gandalf! In any country, it makes sense to check which names are allowed and which ones aren't. In Germany, for example, Superman, Gucci, Satan and Lenin are on the list of forbidden names. In France, among the names that have been forbidden because they might not be in the interest of your child are Fraise, Griezmann Mbappé or Jihad. An interesting case happened in 2016 when parents in Nice wanted to name their son Mohammed, a perfectly legal name. The only problem was their family name, Merat. Mohamed Merat was a terrorist that killed seven people in southern France in March 2012. So that name became illegal. Looking at the Kardashian Wests, naming their children North, Chicago, Saint and Psalm West, it seems like every name is possible in the US. Chris Martin, the Coldplay lead singer, and Gwyneth Paltrow, an actress and businesswoman, named their daughter Apple. But even though the US have a more liberal approach to names than other countries, they don't seem to be very fond of royal names. In the US, you cannot name your child King, Queen, Majesty or Master. So choosing a name is an immense responsibility. There is enough pressure when trying to name a plant or a pet. Can you imagine what it's like when you have to name a human? I certainly don't, but I know somebody who does. I'd like to introduce you to a lovely couple. So what do you think about Slava? 
Oh, slavas, like saliva, like slave, like, yeah, definitely not. My name is Céliane Guinot. I'm French and I live in Paris. And I'm a teacher of history and geography in secondary school. Hello, my name is Ralph Hobson. I'm English, but I also live in Paris and I'm an English teacher. While we were all coming into terms with a global pandemic, Ralph and Cillian were deep in a happier kind of worry. They're expecting a baby. And it turned out, one of the hardest questions to answer for them has been, have you chosen a name yet? No, <laughs> definitely not. No. It's, it's complicated. We have very different and strong tastes in names. So it's quite complicated to come to a name that we both uh, not only like, but also I think we would like a name that we love together, not naming our son just because that was, that was an unawful name or something like that. A few months ago, their dilemma became slightly easier, since they found out it was a boy. But still, there are so many factors to take into account, starting with the language issue. There is the cultural point when things that sounds actually right for both of us are not possible because of references in France or in England mm. or like other meanings, association with sounds or words that, that doesn't work in English or in French. Uh, like half trying to have like some old French names because really for me like Marcel, René, all of these for me these are like old men playing the pétanque uh, on a sunny day, it's not my son. But wait for it, it gets even more complicated. Ralph and Cillian met in Moscow, Russia, and lived there for a few years. So on top of picking a name that would sound great in both English and French, they want to find one that has a Russian reference. Well, for example, for me, uh, I'm a really big fan of the French writer Boris Vian. And I really liked the name Boris, which was a nod to Russia, which was perfect. Until the day, until I said to Ralph, oh, I would like to call my son Boris. And he was, no way, that's never going to happen. And also, like, that was at the moment when Boris Johnson became to be, like, somebody in, uh, in like, English politics. And, uh, and of course, like, even I agree now that I cannot do that to my son to call him, like, Boris, like, in the actual context. Yeah. But... Yeah, that was, that will be a regret for me that I'm not able to name my son like that. Uh, but I know that Ralph won't regret that. For example, for a girl, uh, Margaret, why not? But then after Margaret Thatcher, you cannot call your... Like, I mean, it's a really strong stand to call your child Margaret. Even Leonid, I mean, it's also like, uh, it, makes, it makes you think to Brezhnev like almost immediately because there are mm. not that much new needs. And then in terms of sound, it's more on your side. Speaking of sound, the way a name sounds, it turned out, was so important for Ralph. I mean, my first thought is always like how it sounds. It's difficult to explain what, what that means, but I always try to, you know, repeat the name uh, whenever I hear a new name, just say the name, you know, 20 different times in different ways just to hear how it sounds. And we definitely, we want a name that's, that's pronounced more or less the same in, in French and English. Because, I mean, again, 
I like my name, but um, it's definitely not the easiest name to pronounce um, in other languages. I mean, any name with R and L is always complicated. So when we, we lived in Russia and trying to pronounce my name in Russian was always difficult. And even here, after eight years in France, I still have problems uh, pronouncing my own name. And so uh, I'd like to avoid that problem um, where they have to, you know, say their name three times before, they, before they're understood. Um, so if their name could be pronounced the same, that would be nice. Yeah. Another aspect of which I admit I didn't think straight away is nicknames or shorter version of names. For Ralph, the nickname is just as important as the full name because that's the one that will be used most. Do I like the, the, the nickname, the shorter name, as much as the longer name, you know, because that's the name that I'm going to use the most, I feel. But um, Nick, you aren't a fan of Nick. No, Nick, I don't like. I mean, there are a lot. this is the problem. Shorter names are almost harder to, to like because it's just one sound and so, you know, it's got to be right. Um, but, yeah, any, all, yeah, yeah, Nick, Mick... Dan, I mean, there are lots of um, short names that I'm not a fan of, so <laughs> it makes it difficult. Interestingly, unlike Ralph, Cillian, when she tries to imagine a name, thinks not of sounds, but of situations. Almost trying to picture herself calling her son with different tones and moods. It has to work in all these different situations, when you are like telling like sweet things to your child, but also when you are calling for him and you want him to come immediately. I think, yeah, for me it's important to have a name that I can project into, like uh, to, have, to imagine my, my child uh, doing things or me calling him that name. And after all these careful considerations, have they come up with a shortlist or something? Not quite, because there are more things to be considered. Just like you said earlier, every name has an association or a story to it. And both Ralph and Cillian want their son's name to have a story behind it. But not the kind of story that everyone knows before you tell it. You don't want the name to be, for example, if you're called Kilian and you're like 10 uh, in uh, like... Uh Eight years, every, everybody will know like that this is because Kylian Mbappé uh, during the World Cup. And I, I think I don't want that for like my child that you can locate uh, in the time so easily where that comes from. I like it to be like to have a story, but a story that needs to be told and not like we were like world champion in football in 2018. Oh, yeah. And I forgot to mention that Cillian is a historian and a history teacher at school, and that also generates heated discussions with Ralph. So I came up with a lot of uh, names <laughs> that Ralph didn't like that much about like either Roman emperors or like Soviet leaders that I found were like perfectly nice and acceptable, but Ralph has vetoed, sadly. So this is also, like, I think history for me is a great source of inspiration. Yeah, my role has mostly been to veto names rather than... <laughs> since Ilian comes up with at least 10 every day, oh. you know, m my role is to, is to filter. And... I think being a teacher, on one hand, this is really good because I see a lot of different names. And on the other, like, a lot of names that could have been good, now they are so closely associated with what I think of uh, of the what I feel towards these students that I couldn't use them 
couldn't use them anymore. I teach like hundreds uh, of kids if each year. And I know what it is to be like the third Enzo in your class, for example. So I would like a name that is uh, that stands out a little. And of course, some less usual name also get mentioned. What was the name you suggested? Some, somewhere between... Uh, uh, what was it? Euthanasia and anesthetic. Euphrasie. 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 I like to challenge. I like uh, the idea that this name challenge a little what you expect in, term, in terms of gender. Yeah, sure. there are also some names that, for example, um, Cillian suggested uh, Camille for a boy, but just nobody in England, no boys in England are called Camille or Camilla. You know, there's only the girl's name, Camilla. And so it would be very, very difficult, I think, for, for a boy to be called Camille in, in, in England. Yeah, this is exactly what I like with uh, Camille. I wouldn't call a girl Camille, uh, but I really like the fact that Camille challenges the gender expectation. Uh, Camille can be both a girl and a boy in France. And I like that you cannot uh, really tell uh, until you have met the person. And as if choosing a first name wasn't tricky enough, since Ralph and Cillian have different family names, the question of which of the two the child would take was also on the table. Uh, actually, I have very strong, a very strong opinion about that. It's that uh, as a person uh, who is taking part, a very active part in making this baby, uh, like the most active part, maybe, at the, at the start. Uh, for me, that was, I wanted to give my name, my family name to the baby. And then I thought that having, like, the two names was uh, perfectly acceptable, which was a very big debate with uh, Ralph. Well, I mean, for, for a long time, I, I was definitely against double-barreled names, just because it's... When you have a double-barreled name, traditionally in England, it means you're an aristocrat, and especially if one of those names is French. Um, so, you know, Hobson Gino um, sounded to me aristocratic, and I didn't want people to think, uh, you know, that immediately have, you know, prejudices against uh, our child because of that. And of course, the biggest fear they both have, which I think is true for all future parents, is to regret their decision later. After all, you have less than a year to name a human being, to choose a word that will correspond to their personality, keep them from teasing and prejudice, and sound nice. As long as it's not, you know, uh, euthanasia or something that definitely yeah. people are going to make fun of, then, <laughs> then the important thing is that, that it's just, I mean, as I said before, the, the name that you give the child becomes their personality, I mean, it becomes, they become mm -hmm. attached to the name, so, yeah, I feel a lot of pressure to, to get the name right. I'm really afraid that I'm going to regret, <laughs> to, you know, because maybe in 20, in January 2021, I will think that that name was extraordinary, that there was no better name, and then I will realise, oh my god, I hate it, or oh my god, that, well, there was that name that was so much better. But, actually, whatever name you choose, ends up to be the right name yeah, somehow. So for Ralph and Cillian, it already became obvious that names often do have a cultural component to them. What tradition or what legacy do you want for your child to carry with them? 
And then as soon as the child is old enough to reflect on that, what if they don't identify with their name at all? In many countries, you can't change your name under special circumstances. Or swap around your first names if you have more than one. In other cases, you can even change your family name as soon as you have a good reason. Natalia, our next guest, did exactly that. Hi, my name is Natalia Barbican. I'm 23 years old. Uh, I based in London, but then now I'm based in Berlin, but I'm originally from Russia, so I'm a bit all over the place. I think my ultimate goal since I was quite young, like 12, 13, was to leave Russia at all costs. And I was really working towards that goal uh, since early age, not without the help of my family, my mother in particular. Um, when I was 16, I went to study uh, to England, hoping that in the long run I'll stay there. By the age of 18, she decided she wanted to change her surname. Sasha, you've talked to her about this decision to change her family name. What were the reasons? Most people who decide to change their family name since it's such a personal thing, do it for very personal reasons. And that was Natalia's case anyways. I never liked my surname by birth. It's my father's surname and my parents been divorced since they, since I could remember, they were already like divorced. Uh, so I never really liked the idea that for some reason I've been subjected to my father's surname in the first place, but neither I really like my mom's one. My mom has the most blonde, Russian surname uh, Ivanov, which is just boring and blonde. And I didn't fancy that either. Uh, but when I turned 18, I was a free woman, finally. I was the woman of my own actions. I could do it. You might wonder at this point why we do not mention Natalia's former family name. This is a conscious decision. Exactly. So when I asked her in the beginning of our conversation how she wanted to deal with her birth name in this episode, that's what she said. I can tell you in secret, but um, I think I did an extremely tedious and good job keeping it off social media. And my biggest fear, which is quite funny, I guess, and very egocentric of me, is if one day I become important enough in the industry where I get a Wikipedia page, someone will dig down and they will find it. So if you want to change your surname in Russia, what does that entail? I imagine you don't just walk up to the city hall like that and request a new name. So what are the conditions under which you can change your surname? It depends on your age. Technically, you can change it as early as 14, but you need approval from both of your parents. Once you turn 18, though, which is when you officially become an adult in Russia, you do have to justify your decision with a reason that, quote-unquote, satisfies the employee of the registry office. Technically, there are no limitations as to why you can decide to change your name as surname. I see. And how was that in Natalia's case? Can you run us through this process? As soon as she turned 18, she went to the registry office with a fake document that sort of proved that someone in her family had the surname that she wanted. And it was done. You'll find out why she had to fake it a bit later. It came with a whole run of documents you need to change as well, which I didn't think about at all. And my mother hated me for that like half a year of just paying money and going to places and changing all those like little bits and pieces. Yeah, at the registry office, you do get people who try to, 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 to change it to very obscure words. So I guess whatever sounds like a surname is good enough for them. Someone who was changing their surname that day to, I think, like Taiga, as if the region, the Siberian region. And I mean, Barbican comparing to that is okay. <laughs> if I were getting married, I don't think I'm changing my surname ever again. We're going to stick with that one. It's good. <laughs> 
Public facilities, cultural institutions and civic spaces connected by elevated walkways. This is the Barbican. Wait, did Natalia change her name after the Barbican Cultural Centre in London? What's the story behind it? Coincidentally, yes. But there was a more personal reason too. She actually has nothing to do with Barbican Centre, oddly enough. One of my grandmothers, she used to have a surname which would be along the lines of Barbikanov or something like that. No one knew for sure because they didn't have trace of her documents. But if you look it up, there are a few Russian surnames. They kind of match the criteria. And I quite liked her surname. But then I thought, well, if I'm going to go to the Western world, you just need to cut off the Russian end off. And then boom, boom, you're European now. Every time I book a table somewhere and they's like, oh, can you spell it for me? Just like Barbican, like the Barbican sentence. It's all very nice and easy. As she tells it, I can imagine that name works especially well in London. I find that identity aspect of names particularly interesting. It's not just interesting, there are studies on this too. One by Emilia Aldrin from 2016 says, quote, One of the main functions of a name is to single out and identify its referent. Therefore, naming is always a question of assigning identity, end quote. So name changes are often considered a strategy for leaving an old, unwanted identity or to declare a new political, religious or sexual identity. In Natalia's case, the name change sort of marked this physical and mental move from Russia to England. Yeah, I think I wasn't thinking, oh, if I go to uh, this country, it'll be easier. I had, like, for as long as I can remember, I had such an issue with my surname. And I've never once, even now when I was like 10, I would never set up, uh, put my real surname on social media ever. I went through, if, I, if, if there is a log of all the name changes I did social media between the ages of like 10 to, I don't know, 16, it's amazing. There are some really great ones. I went by Jezebel at some point because back then I didn't understand that Jezebel means hooker essentially, but it's fine. Uh, and I went through a range of German surnames, which I quite fancied, but it's been like an ongoing theme forever. And then Barbican just stuck. And then obviously I moved to England and I kind of moved as a different person to this country. So uh, no one ever even kind of knew that there was something before that. It's just came with by default, Natalia Barbican. Here she is. First year, I think, was really tough. Unlike all the Harry Potter films and all the beautiful, there is, I think there is a word for it now. It's called something like academia aesthetics or whatever it is, dark academia, with all the like, you know, Cambridge buildings and people wearing white shirts and having tweed and all of that. In reality, you live in, in a dorm, maybe a half an hour walk from the main station and it's freezing cold and you have locks on your windows because you're 17 and they really scared you're going to escape. And I mean, I can see why they scared you will run away because yes, I wanted to <laughs> big time. In short, I lived through that period with great difficulty. So Natalia relied on creating this new identity in order to be accepted as a proper member of the society. Sasha, you've been living abroad from Russia most of your life. I was wondering if you can relate to that experience in any way. So much of what Natalia said in the interview resonated with me. I left Russia when I was 16 too and went to a boarding school and lived through all the difficulties that she described. All these years, I was very grateful that my name, Alexandra Tian, 
didn't sound Russian. I never had to change mine, but for Natalia, that visit to the registry office when she was 18 marked a whole new period. I think I always liked the idea that Natalia Barbican is this, like, someone else, because I left, I left Russia, uh, and then I changed my name. It's kind of she's this past, and then the Russian version of Natalia is the, my, my, my old name kind of thing, so... It always uh, weird coming back home, which is now not exactly home, but then where is home? I like this whole idea that, you know, you name the ship and it defines how the ship sails kind of thing. So I always um, believe that like there are people who changed names, first names regardless, and then something like massive happened in their life because I think there are like there are names that shouldn't be with certain people. And yeah, I like I like this idea that it is kind of a symbol of this brand new life and stuff like that. And I mean, if you go into the etymology of, uh, of Barbican, the construction of a fortress, which is kind of like a pillar that holds all that weight and doesn't let everything sink down so I like of course I like to romanticize the idea that oh uh, it's just me trying to hold my life together but so far so good which is a nice like way to put it I guess a bit symbolic a bit a bit out there probably a massive stretch but I like I like the idea I love this metaphor behind Natalia's new name her story is a great example of how much our name shapes our identity but it also gives a hint of how much a name can be a source of sometimes very subtle discrimination. We dedicated the whole of the previous episode to it. Go check it out. So, Teresa, now that we've covered all the intricacies of child naming, do you have a better idea about your baby's name now? <laughs> Actually, yes, but for now, I'll keep it to myself. This story has been made possible by Our Europe, a new media that gives you a new perspective through its border-breaking stories. For too long, journalism about Europe has been a one-way information flow about Brussels, Brexit and borders. As a young outlet, they're building a truly pan-European media for changing continent. To bridge the gap between creators and listeners or readers, Our Europe is now launching a membership program. If you love independent, surprising and solutions-driven journalism, become a member now at oureurope.com slash member. Obvious the podcast is produced by Astrid Gabopion, Sasha Tien and Teresa Mainka. Our illustrator is Julia Fatchen and our jingle is the work of Pika Fröhlich.